0: To Scaling Up, the podcast for water treaters by water treaters, where we're scaling up on water treatment knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. Hi, everybody. I am Trace Blackmore, and today I want to talk to you about volunteering in the association that allows us water treatment folk to get more information, to become educated, and know what the heck is going on out there in the world that we are going to be faced with when it comes to water treatment. Of course, I'm talking about the Association of Water Technologies. And I don't think it's any surprise to anybody out there. I am a huge fan of the Association of Water Technologies. I was fortunate to be the president of that organization in 2011. I am today the Educational Committee co-chair where we simply teach all the wonderful things that we've learned to do throughout our careers to all of our competitors. That just sounds nuts, doesn't it? Well, why would somebody like me do something like that? And by the way, if you haven't figured it out, that's exactly what I'm doing on this show. As I mentioned in an earlier show, a rising tide lifts all boats, So if we make ourselves better as a water treatment community, if we make ourselves better as an association, we all get better and we can all do better things. But it's very intimidating sometimes to figure out how do you start to get involved in associations like this? And I know a couple of weeks ago, I had the lovely and talented Michelle Farmery on. And she talked about that various thing. And she said that if we were to want to get involved, that she has a young professionals task force that is all about getting people involved into the association. So hopefully some of you have done that. And some of you might be wondering, how do I become involved in the association how do i get on the board of directors you might have noticed that the ballot recently went out so we are electing new board members well how does somebody get to that position so i thought rather than interviewing myself and talk about how i got in that position i will talk today with bruce ketrick jr who is the current president of the Association of Water Technologies, and we're going to talk about what's going on with the association, what can we expect from our association, how he got involved, and where he sees AWT going. But before we do that, we're going to talk a little bit about water softeners. So how do softeners work? A lot of us have softeners that we are responsible for treating, most of us have boilers. If you have a boiler, you have to have a water softener. If you don't, you're going to have issues. So how the heck do these things work? Well, if you've ever taken a softener apart, you'll notice that it has these resin beads inside. And the purpose of the resin beads is to provide an exchange surface for ions and the ion specifically that we're talking about is calcium and magnesium. So if you can shrink yourself down and look inside the resin bead, you'll see that little tiny little bead has millions of little holes in it. And inside those little holes, we have sodium. Now sodium has a plus 1 charge. And the sodium's hanging out in there in the resin beads, and now we're going to put the unit online And we've got hard water coming through. Hard water means we've got calcium and magnesium in it. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard how that expression came about, but it's from the soap industry. And soft water was very easy to make a lather and hard water was very hard to make a lather. So that's how that stuck. So we have the resin, and it's full of all this sodium, and now we're gonna put it online and we're putting hard water through it. And this hard water contains calcium and magnesium, and it's flowing through across the resin bead, and the resin bead actually says, you know what? I really like this calcium and magnesium stuff a lot more than I like this sodium. The reason for is the sodium has a charge of one, And the calcium and magnesium have a charge of two. It wants what it doesn't have. It's going to spit off the sodium and it's going to collect the calcium and magnesium. And it does that until there's no more sodium for it to trade. Well, when that happens, we now start passing hard water again, which isn't the purpose of the water softener. We want to soften the water So now we have to go through the process of regeneration. If you can imagine that resin is also acting as a filter. So anything that's coming along with that water in addition to the calcium magnesium that has any sort of mass to it is gonna get filtered out within that resin. So now we have to regenerate the softener. So the first step of the regeneration process is backwash. And what happens, in normal operation, as water is going from the top through the resin and then it goes out the bottom where it comes and goes into the system. Well, during backwash, we're going to reverse the flow. We're actually going to send the water in from the bottom, fluff up all the resin beads and have it discharge out of the top where it goes through a drain because we don't want all that nasty water going back into our system. That's going to fluff up all the resin beads. If there was any channeling, and by the way, channeling is water is going to find the path of least resistance. So it's sort of going to bury its way through. It's going to worm its way through, and it could create a channel through the resin bead, and that could create some leakage. So if that happened, the backwash should, should solve that. So now all that nasty water is going out the drain. Well, then after the backwash, we're then going to start a brine draw. And on the side of the softener tank should be a brine tank. And typically, we have salt pellets in there and water. And it's enough to allow that softener to draw through the entire brining time limit. So how do you know how large your brine tank needs to be? Well, it needs to be able to pull enough brine through the required generation time. And there's a bunch of charts and things that you can look at to find that. So now we're in step two, which is the brine draw. It's drawing brine through the top of the softener, pushing it down through the resin bed and then out through the bottom where it's going out the drain. We're going to do that for a period of time. And if you think about what's happening, it's a little weird. So you're thinking, okay, well, it had sodium. The resin had sodium. And it gave that up because it wanted calcium and magnesium because it had a plus two charge where the sodium only had a plus one charge. And now it wants the sodium again. Well, chemistry is a very weird mistress, folks. So what's going on here is we're overpowering all of the sodium against the calcium and magnesium. And the resin bead says look at all this sodium out there. Wow, it's a sodium party. I wish I had some of that because it's so concentrated. So the fact that we're over-concentrating, we're kind of fooling it thinking that it has a higher charge than it really does. So that's how it's now going to release the calcium and magnesium and it's going to now exchange it for the sodium. So now we have sodium back in those little resin bead holes. So, once that takes place, we've got to rinse all that excess sodium and salt solution out of the system. So, it's going to go through a slow rinse. And the slow rinse is going to be going through the same direction from the top through the resin, out through the bottom to a drain. And it's simply the last process of that brine where it's pushing that brine plug all the way down through the resin. We're finally at the end of it. We've rinsed all the brine out. The fourth section in the regeneration process is called the fast rinse. And the fast rinse is exactly the same as the slow rinse, except it's a little bit faster. It's interesting how we get these names. And simply what that's going to do, it's going to make sure that everything is rinsed out. But its real job is to pack down that resin beads to make sure that they're nice and there's no channeling. There's no place where the water can manipulate its way through because water will find the path of least resistance. And if it doesn't go through that resin bed, it's not going to be soft. Now, a lot of our softeners, the next step is combined with this uh, fast rinse step. But it's simply the brine tank refill. And a lot, of, a lot of the new heads now, it's a, it's a fast rent slash brine refill. And some systems also have a separate brine refill. And you want to set that so there's enough water that goes back into the brine tank. So we have that brine for the next regeneration. Normally, there's an overflow valve or an overflow disruption valve. So when a float goes up, even though that the timer is still calling to fill the tank, it won't allow it to overfill. And then somebody will be there to put excess salt in. So there's plenty of available salt uh, for that, to make that brine solution. While that's going on, we have hard water because that softener is now bypassed because it's regenerating. So all the water that's going into the boiler is now hard. So if you've ever seen softeners that have what we call twin tanks on them, that's what solves that problem the fact that one resin tank is going through regeneration, and if we only had one, it's going to pass hard water. We don't want that to happen. So now it's going to switch over and the online unit is going to be the one that's already regenerated and it's going to go online while the one that's all used up is regenerating. And then those are going to switch back and forth. Now, during my math class at the uh, AWT training seminars, I actually show how you can figure out how much brine you need, how much how much resin you need, how large a softener you need. Talk about a couple of the calculations to make sure you're sizing the softener right and the flows right and all that stuff. But that's not really easy to do on the podcast. So maybe we'll do a math session, but I can't imagine anybody would listen to that. But if you can envision all of that, that's how a water softener works. The primary function is to take the hardness out of the water So we don't put hardness into the system we're treating. Normally, that's a boiler. So it doesn't create scale. And normally, we're talking about calcium carbonate or calcium phosphate scale, depending on what what other items you have in the boiler water. Well, now that we have a water softener, we understand how it works. We have to make sure that we're testing properly for it. So you go on your service and you test and it's hard. So what do you do? And by the way, hard in our industry is a half a part per million. Not all tests will actually test down that low. So be sure you understand what tests you're using. If you're using a one drop equals 10, then, you know, that might not be adequate to actually test a water softener. You want to get that as precise as you possibly can. And really you want a nice blue color as soon as you start putting the, um, the indicator into that solution. Keep in mind again that not all tests can test below five or two parts per million. So make sure you know that. In boilers, soft is less than a half a part per million. So if raw test can only do two, we're four times that and that can create some issues for us. So if it is hard, What we're going to do is we're going to look at the softener program and we're going to see how much water we're actually pushing through it. Testing the makeup water, we're able to see how much hardness is in there. There's an equation where we can simply multiply to see how many gallons is going through the system based on the water meter and translate that into grains, which is how the softener resin is measured. I actually talk about where we get grains from at the AWT technical training seminars, but I'm not going to bore you with that here. We will probably find out that we've exceeded what that resin's able to do, or we might find out we haven't. So what's going on there? Well, resin out of the bag is pretty good, but it is looking for for cations to grab onto. And over time, it will grab onto some cations that we're not able to get rid of. I'm specifically talking about iron and iron has a charge of three. And I don't care what you do, there's nothing, there's any amount of salt in the world that you can put in that resin tank and get it to give up that plus three charge. So what we might be seeing is that the resin just doesn't have any more room to accomplish getting that calcium magnesium for the sodium because there's all that iron in there. So that might be one issue. And then what do you do with that? Well, there's some cleaners and things out there. You might need to replace the resin. You'll really have to figure out uh, system-specific what's going on there. But the easy scenario is if the system's hard, we can probably just dial back the amount of water that's going through it and make sure that it stays soft until the next regeneration period. And as long as that's an acceptable limit to our client, we're not needlessly wasting water, that's a fine thing to do. But eventually... The iron is going to foul more and more and more, and that's when you're going to have to make the decision, okay, this resin isn't giving us enough volume of water through the system. It's time to go ahead and change that out, and that's when you would do that. So hopefully when you test it, it would be soft. Now your question is, was it soft through the entire time from when I was here last time? Things with softener, hopefully you have an operator there that's testing it at least on a daily basis, if not per shift. Because if it was soft today, but it was hard yesterday, your test isn't going to tell you that. Now, some other tests that you can run in the boiler, things that aren't making sense, maybe uh, your alkalinity is going down or something like that, is normally an indication that you've got some hardness leakage, but that's for another show. This one is just a brief overview of what the water softener is and how it functions. So I hope this helps some of you out there that have water softeners and don't really understand how they work. Now you do. And my goal for you is to try to learn something a little bit more about them so you can speak well with your customers and you know what to do when you need to troubleshoot them.
1: I'm here today with Bruce Ketrick, Jr., and Bruce is not only the owner of a water treatment company, but he's also the current president of the Association of Water Technologies. How are you today, Bruce? I am fantastic. How are you doing, Trace? I'm doing great. I know you have an extremely busy schedule, so I appreciate you squeezing this interview in. I know you've got a lot to tell us and uh, inform us about what's going on with you and also the association. Absolutely. Well, I wanted to ask, because so water treaters get into this business in so many different ways, can you tell your story about how you found yourself to be in this business?
2: Absolutely. So, as you know, my name is Bruce Ketrick, Jr., and there is a well-known in our industry Bruce Ketrick, Sr., so... It'd probably be easy to say that uh, I just followed along in his footsteps and became a water treater. But I have a little bit different story in the fact that growing up, it was absolutely the last thing that I thought I would be doing. At that, you know, through high school and college, my parents had a, uh, you know, a couple small four or five person company. It was a lot of work and a lot of travel for them. And we moved around the country a lot growing up. And for me, I saw maybe an easier road or easier path and uh, went to school and. And, uh, you know, got into a whole different line of work. And it wasn't until later on when I met my wife and I was living in a different area and I had had some conversations with my dad about, you know, him on the business side of things more than the chemistry and technology side of things and where, you know, his business was going and where maybe I could help. And, and I kind of came to a, a mutual decision, which allowed me to move closer to home, which was also closer to the woman that I had met <laughs> and, uh, At that point, I said, you know, let me try this for two years. No harm, no foul. If it's not something I think uh, I'd want to be a part of. And uh, I can tell you now going into my 16th year and it's the best decision that I've ever, I've ever made. So not only working with my family and having the opportunity to work with my dad on a, I'd like to say a daily basis, but we, we rarely get to see each other in the work environment because we are going in two different directions a lot. But having the ability to, to, to go through that has been, has been fantastic.
1: Well, excellent. You know, your dad is a person that I consider one of my mentors and one of the true water treatment Jedi. What is that like to work with him? So I'd like to say it's been,
2: you know, this, you know, mentoring ability, but I think we both have very, very different personalities. He's extremely technical and he's well known for, you know, obviously the education piece that he serves with AWT. But I've always been more on the sales and business and marketing uh, side of what we do. And, and again, I have a, a biology and biochemistry degree, so I have the ability to be as technical as I need to. But working with them has been, has been great. So it's the same as I think probably a lot of second generation or even third generation people. I think we get ourselves into positions where we're looking to grow or we want to change and because we're probably younger and a little more apt to deal with that risk. So there's always a constant push and pull when uh, you're making decisions, and and especially early on. But with that being said, we've had, you know, because I think think it works out really, really well, because we're not the same person. We have the ability to bounce things off of each other, and there's been a common and a mutual level of respect. And I, I have to say that, you know, raising my own children right now, it's it's something that I I really am cognizant of in the fact that you know he didn't have to give me that level of respect and listen. Those are the things that you know I, I really take to heart. So those you know growing up with him, working with him, and having you know being in a family business is it, you know all those things can be just about the most amazing thing you can go through, and also it's sometimes the most challenging thing you can go through. Sure. Yeah.
1: Well, you mentioned second and multi-generational businesses. Statistically, most generational businesses don't do well. You guys are doing exceptionally well. Can you give any advice to companies like that? I, I wish I
2: could. I think it's just a dynamic. I really do think it's a dynamic. And I would say that not everybody, like I said earlier, has the ability to have a mutual trust and have someone that you know at the level that my father's been able to work. So, from the very beginning, it's not just even just the decisions or ideas that I may have brought to the table, but others from our company have brought to the table, and the willingness to be open and listen and say that's a good idea, part of that's a good idea, or absolutely no, and this is why, and this and this is why I think is a big piece of it. If the second generation is just trying to Be as good as the first generation, or just like the first generation, or do it the same, or even worse is is required to do it the same. I I think those are the times when things are just set up for failure. If they're, you know, we're in a a fluid environment, and and if you're not changing and growing all the time, you're not going to succeed. And if you're expected to do it just like you were before, or do it only the way that they would like you to do it, I don't think that that's a good recipe either. So the fact that you know we've had a good working relationship, I think that is the key more than anything else. And, and and the other side of it is, I think on the second generation side, you have to have people that have the passion for whatever industry it is. If you're just getting into it because it's what your parents are doing and it's easy, it's probably not a, a good reason for you know for success. If it's something that you truly enjoy, I truly enjoy what I do on a day to day basis. I enjoy the relationships that I have. I think those those are the times when, you know, the smaller percentage of that is when you win.
1: Well, Bruce, I have to say, you said you had no advice. That was awesome advice. Okay. Well, thank you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think I was reading something in Inc. Magazine a couple of months ago, and there was a statistic that most people that have a second-generation business fail 50%, and uh, a third-generation failed 80%. So, yeah, great advice. Yeah, I think I've, I've read similar
2: statistics, and even on a, on, a, on a higher percentage value, that you know even more than 50% on second generation um, fail.
1: Well, as a business owner, what do you like most about running your own business? That's a great question. So, what do I like most, or what do I like least?
2: I'm so, gonna ask you I both,
1: think, so you can pick whichever one you like.
2: How about I answer them both at the same time? So, it, you know, as a business owner, you have a flex, you have some flexibility, you have the ability, if you wanted to, to make any decision. And on the other side of that, um, so those are the two positives I'd say. The the problem with that is the flexibility is there if you want it. If you want to be successful, then you you know, and any business owner knows that you're also where the buck stops. So if something needs to get done, you're the person that has to go and get that done. So you truly, as much flexibility as you think you have, you never really get to get away. So so that part of it is you know is 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 difficult, and then. You know, on the on the other side of it, there's, you know, the decision-making and, and those kind of things. You do have the ability to make a decision and, and do the things you the way you want them to be done. But if you're dictating in any way, which sometimes some portions of that are needed, I think in today's environment, dic- dictating anything to anyone without getting some type of buy-in or, or, or group decisions, and I don't, I don't mean that in a truly democratic way, but some type of buy-in from the crowd. That's going to make you fail anyway. So the two things that are positives are also somewhat negatives. And I can tell you the, the, the management of people is more difficult than, than I think many people know. So true, true business owners and really true first generation business owners really got into it because they had a passion for what they do. And I think second generation business owners or, or first generation, as they grow quickly and they start truly running an organization, the organizational portion, portion of it is a totally different animal running a business versus doing what you do on a day-to-day basis. And some people just don't do that well or don't want to do that well because they'd rather do, you know, you think of an artist that has a great business. Well, are they an artist or are they a business owner? And uh, it's tough to be both. So it's nice to have in our situation, you know, I think I've fallen more into the business business situation and and having to deal with a lot of that, which is positive and, and it's something I enjoy. And and my dad has the ability to to really do what he is, which is the artist side of things and and, uh, get to formulate and have fun and solve problems and and do those kind of things. And and then the the worst part of it, like I said, about managing people is the people are the best part of your business and the people are your business. And also you have to, you know, have people be a little bit disappointed once in a while when they don't live up to the standard that everyone else is or they live up to the standard that the business is, you know, as modeled as part of their culture. So, you know, you have to have those difficult conversations.
1: Well, you've been in business for quite some time. If you could get in a time machine, go back to your first day where you started out, what would you tell yourself then that you know now? In business or in water treatment? These are two different places. In business. In business. It's
2: obviously much easier. So when I was younger, and especially in the business side, and I still am today, very aggressive for growth. I was felt that if we could get bigger and and we could do it better and we could have more people and we could, you know, that, 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 that growth was going to, was, was what success looks like. Now, after 16 years of doing it this way, um, uh, we're very successful. We're big and we're doing a lot of things and we're, we're supporting a lot of families, but there also are very successful businesses and there are a lot of these businesses in the AWT. Where they've realized, and maybe they're smarter than I am, that if I can maintain four or five at the most, or it's just my wife and I and, and my son, even, and we can handle this much business, work life balance is a lot better. There's not, you know, there, there's plenty of cash to go around if they do it correctly and they have a, you know, a business base that is uh, is solid and, and uh, reliable. So there are really two different ways to skin the cat, and uh, and that's something I was not. I don't know that I. If I were to go back and tell myself 16 years ago, I I would have thought about that a little bit also.
1: All right. Well, let's ask the same question about water treatment. What would you tell yourself when you first got into this industry that you know now that you didn't know then?
2: On the water treatment side, you know, obviously the technology and education and considering, you know, constantly growing and trying to learn all the time. But what I what I think I would tell a new person in in water treatment or I would tell myself as a new person was just kind of listen, obviously, and that's obviously the best way to, to learn ask questions of your customers. They're very willing to show off and are proud of what they do on a day-to-day basis. And there's good learning opportunities there. And you know, one of the things that I think makes myself successful and has made a lot of the people, at least that I know day-to-day on our company successful, is the very simple thing of just doing what you say, following up on things that you promise, which are very basic pieces of, of interaction and human interaction. If you just do those two very simple things, it's amazing how much trust and, and, and how much relationship-type selling comes from that and how, how your business grows because of that. It's very simple. It sounds very simple. And sometimes at the end of the day, when you said you would get this done and you're tired or you you want to go, you need to go to your, your kid's something game or whatever it is, and you need to get that out before the end of the day, you need to get that out before the end of the day. It's that that those little things go a long way.
1: Bruce, how do you find new business?
2: Well, luckily now I tell my people to find new business.
1: <laughs> no,
2: um, you know, that's a really difficult question because, you know, the way I answered the previous was, you know, just doing what you're what you say you're going to do and being accountable and 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 showing up and, and building relationships. I think in this industry, it's it's a very relationship selling industry. They're long term partnerships, they're long term sales cycles. So, you know, for us, when we're training new people, you know, obviously you want to get in front of as many people as possible and and let let them know that you have services and products that are available. But the day-to-day interactions, the little singles all the time, really, they start adding up to the point where it becomes a word-of-mouth sale. And a lot of times for us, it's word-of-mouth and keeping up with just organically with the things that are coming in more than cold calling or or things like that. It's uh, it's relationships with mechanicals, it's relationship with architects, it's relationship with a a manager that went from this location to that facility and calls you back up to start up a new place because you did such a great job at the old place. And, you know, it takes some time. It takes some time. So, you know, even as a new person, they need to understand that it's doing those little things every day and that will pay off over time, those little singles. If you're just trying to hit the big home run on the big account, and you're putting all your eggs in that basket and not really handling all the people around you and, and being the right person all the time to everyone,
1: you know, I don't think in the long run that, that's, that you, can, you can truly be successful or you can sell really well that way. Sure. Well, one of the themes of this show is that we're trying to make ourselves better tomorrow than we are today. What are some of the most common repeated mistakes that you see other water treaters do that you want to give a shout out and say, hey, maybe reconsider this?
2: Yeah, I think cutting corners. I mean, that's a, that's, I mean, it's tough to put a, you know, an actual piece on what a cutting the corner is, but cutting corners is, you know, not writing a report, not showing up every month. Not, I mean, those are really basic things that, that'll bite people. And we take plenty of business because, you know, we hear, oh, we haven't seen my rep in three months. I called the guy, never called me back. You know, those are really, really basic things. On a technical side, passivations of galvanized cooling towers. Mm -hmm. It's a very simple process. Sometimes it takes some extra equipment and chemistry to get those done um, and get them done properly. But I can tell you the lawsuits that we've seen recently and also new account generation because of vendors that just weren't trained, knew knew better but didn't take the time, whatever it was. And, you know, we're picking up business because of a failure. And a failure that didn't need to happen. So I think more recently than, than I can remember, I think the last two years, passivations have been a, a big, a big piece of our, our business on, uh, you know, just on galvanized when it comes to just traditional boiler and cooling water business.
1: Well, it's funny you mention that because I actually spoke with Chris Nagel of Evapco this morning to schedule him on a show at next month to talk about Proper passivation. I think Evapco has probably done the most recent and most extensive work on, on testing of new galvanized metal. They absolutely have. I've had the opportunity to go down to their plant and see the, the test rigs and
2: also to, you know, see some of the the data that they've generated. And there's, there's no one else in our industry that is, that is doing R&D on their own pieces of equipment and also, you know, ways to extend the life of that, that equipment. You don't, you don't see a lot of R&D like that out there right now, and, and Avapco and, and Chris especially have been doing a good job with that.
1: Yeah, and the great thing, they've been very involved with the Association of Water Technologies and asking us questions but also giving us information. They presented at our convention last year on that very topic. And it was a fantastic presentation if you had
2: the opportunity to watch it. Yeah, it was a very good presentation.
1: So obviously, we're going to talk a lot about AWT, but I thought we would stick with water treatment just a little bit longer, if that was okay. And you and I both hold the Certified Water Technologist designation. My listeners have heard me talk about how important I think that is. But I'd like to ask you, what has that designation done for you? Well, it's
2: interesting. For our company, well, two things. For me, personally, it kind of validated who I, you know, that, that I am who I am. You know, I started in the industry relatively young. I was 27 when I came in and going around to accounts and saying, you know, that I knew what I what they needed to fix their problems. And, you know, without, I felt like I needed something to, to validate that I had the knowledge to give them that, that answer. And, you know, so for me, whether it would truly was something for the customer that they were looking for or whether it was just for my own self-confidence. That was an early on uh, a piece of it. Over time, we've then taken that same thought process of you really should be working with the most qualified people, and taking that into our architects and into our you know our state representation, and you know the, the people that are writing the actual bid specs for universities, and and showing them what a CWT is, why they should be working with a CWT, and actually getting that written into their request for proposal. And with those RFPs stating that, showing that they're going to get qualified companies to come to the table, and uh, that it'll make their job easier. So, you know, we've been able to to win business based on on that, which has helped our company, obviously, helped help me personally.
1: And we're even seeing our own vendors not require, but kind of ask for CWT with insurance and validating that the the people that we have in the field. Really know what they're doing, and they have that designation. I believe they're—I don't know if they're offering a discount or if they're just not rating us more. But I know they wanted to see the certificates of everybody that we have. Are you seeing that as well?
2: Absolutely, yeah. Especially on the insurance side, you know, our industry—you know—you think about going to a Christmas party and someone asks you what you do. It's—it's it's a little bit difficult to give a clean elevator speech of exactly what we do in the day. So you can imagine on underwriters with insurance, they have the same issues. They think chemicals and they think, you know, there's all this liability. So the CWT piece, you know, and I think McGowan insurance was one of the first to push that on, uh, you know, a discount by having the CWT in, in, uh, in the system. So, and the amount of CWTs you have percentage wise versus your employees actually is, uh, is I'm pretty sure the way that they're, they're rating that. So, you know, it's for us, you know, there was a discount on uh, one of our expenses just because of uh, having qualified people that hopefully were going to do the right thing and weren't going to cause failures and then, they're, you know, reduce our, our liability risk.
1: All right. So you ready to talk about AWT.
2: Absolutely. Always ready to talk about it.
1: Exactly. So a lot of our listeners, they, they know about AWT. They know that there's a lot of great resources in AWT. And if they ask you or me, the first thing we're going to say is, hey, you really need to get involved because you're going to get more out of it than you put in. But for somebody new, That's difficult. Now, you've achieved the highest office in the association. You're president of AWT. Can you tell us about your journey on how you started and how you got where you are? Absolutely. So, you know, I mean, the thing, just like
2: many people, you come in, you walk around, you don't feel like you're part of things. You, You see all these people talking in the hallways at a convention, and you're just trying to figure out how to be involved. And for me, it was joining a committee and just kind of, uh, you know, getting on some calls and starting to try to kind of feel my way around as we've learned on the board through some trainings that, uh, you know, because part of the, the board, you also get some great leadership training. People like to be asked and people typically will say yes. So uh, someone asked me if I would be part of the board and I said yes. <laughs> and uh, with that, you know, you go through the whole process of a board ballot, which goes out to the membership, and if you get voted in, then, you, you know, you get to serve as a director on the board. So I was lucky enough to go through that process and became a director. We had a little bit of a shakeup in the years, uh, the early years that I was on the board with uh, Jim Lukinich, who was a president-elect that ended up stepping down because of some bylaws with his company being purchased, which kind of accelerated the, the progression of my path. Normally, you do three years as a director. And during those three years, you have the opportunity to take positions of, you know, in the, in the leadership, so the treasurer, secretary, and then up to uh, a president-elect and a president and a past president. So within my first year, I ended up uh, taking one of those leadership roles and then have walked my way through the progression now all the way to, uh, to to president of the organization.
1: So what are some of the tasks that you do as president of the Association of Water Technologies?
2: So I'd say that as president, the president year is more of a, a leadership year. You're really just kind of steering and, and uh, steering and directing on the strategic plan. And then also you're responsible for advocacy, which is our new, you know, we have a new strategic plan. So there's four outcomes and the, the, one of those is, you know, it's a technology. We're looking for um, business advocacy and, and the charitable piece and the advocacy. If things come in, as they have recently with EPA and NSF, it's your responsibility to to be the voice, right, of AWT and and give our our response. So the the, the the presidential year is actually one of the I don't want to say the easier years, but it's a more of a leadership year. The earlier years are, are more kind of grind, where you're truly responsible for a part or a piece of the organization. So you know, the treasurer obviously is responsible for finances, and you have a you have tasks around that on a yearly basis with the 990 and and you know even going through the financials on a monthly basis and you know secretary's very heavily involved in the bylaws and procedural and making sure that we're staying on task and we're doing the things that that awt and the previous boards have built for us to do and then the president-elect is really responsible for learning the job of the president and also the the, the big piece of the main part of what AWT has become is the convention and uh, it's their responsibility to, to be involved and, and help set up that convention. So that's a, that year is a big, you know, there's a lot of responsibility involved in that year, but the presidential year, which I'm going through right now, you know, you, you're really strategically figuring out what the agendas are going to look like for board meetings, running the board meetings, making sure that, you know, we're staying on task and we're getting things done. And it's not something where, you know, it's, I have a pet project I want to get through. It's, we've already decided as a, an organization of committees what our strategic plan looks like and how are we most efficiently going to get from point A to B on the, the plan that we've already developed as a group and, you know, pushing things a little bit if you have to in one way or the other. And then obviously, like I said earlier, that, that advocacy piece and making sure you're available when, There needs to be a response that you're available to help work through with a a group or a task of what that response is going to look like from the the NIT.
1: And something I mentioned earlier is that still, with all that work, that is a volunteer position. So why would you choose to give so much to the organization and not get paid for it? Well, it's only one hour a month. (laughs) Yes, that's (laughs) how I got it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, like I said earlier, they someone. Jay Farmery, if you're out there, you're a liar.
2: Yeah. They always say uh, the joke is it's only one hour. Well, it's just an hour a month on a on a conference call. It's not a big deal. Honestly, the, the you know, the, 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 pat answer is you get more, you know, from it than, than you put in. And and it's funny that, 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 that is absolutely the truth. You know, I feel like by the end of this, you're really kind of getting a master's in, in leadership or, or, or management or networking or, you know, there's a, a myriad of business pieces that come out of that. And, and, and it's truly focused, laser focused on our industry. It's, uh, it's, it's really, really interesting that, you know, when you get in, whatever you put in, you know, you're going to get back and you're in the room with the, you know, some really, really intelligent people, whether it's in the committees or whether it's in the boardroom. So you're really, you know, you're, you're right on, on, uh, you know, involved in what, what the industry trends are going to be. You know, there's sharing of best practices. And then on the leadership side, there's leadership training that goes along with both the the president-elect and the presidential years. You know, we actually go to leadership training and, uh, you know, and and, there's technical resources in the rooms that that help you with the things that you're doing on a day-to-day basis that happen, you know, at lunch or happen, you know, at dinner when you're just sitting there saying, you know, I'm running into this and some, you know, you have another, another networking opportunity. So there's, there's a lot that goes into it. The relationships, you know, there's the, what I'll, I'll consider lifelong relationships that I've made. I, I knew people from in the beginning. I knew, uh, oh, that was Trace over there. You know, now to pick up the phone and call you is, uh, you know, that's, that's a, that's a benefit. To, that's a big benefit to me to be able to bounce things off of people. So. Those kind, of, those kind of things are, are really what you're getting back from, it, and you're, you're immersing yourself in our industry is really the way I'd look at it.
1: Yeah, I can tell you that some of my closest relationships now are people that I served with years ago in the AWT, and I wouldn't have had that opportunity to even know those people had it not been for that. Yeah, I absolutely agree,
2: and, and you, you build really close relationships when you're spending two and three days in a room, <laughs> locked in a room, and you really learn how people work. And, uh, they come almost like family. You know, you know exactly where everybody's going to be and you, and you can say, Oh, I got to call Trace for this or someone else for that. You know, there's, there's different people that, that have skill sets that I need and that can help like me or me personally or, or even my business. Exactly.
1: I've always been impressed how the membership seems to know who needs to be on the board at what time, because whatever problem we have, there's normally somebody who's dealt with that or they have the expertise in it. So good job voting membership. (laughs) So as president, what do you want our audience to know about AWT? current things we're working through or
2: AWT and just
1: as as a general? Well, I know a lot of people, they just think of AWT as the convention or possibly the technical training, but there's so much more with AWT, and I know at board meetings that you and I've been in, we've wanted people to know more about what the organization does. So this is your platform on thousands of listeners to, to let people know what AWT is all about.
2: Well, I think the the number one thing is every single decision that is made in there is made on the benefit and the values of membership. So the purpose, the whole purpose of AWT and the purpose and mission of the board is to bring value and benefits to membership. So some of the things that we're doing right now are, you know, again, I keep going back to these four outcomes that we really truly are involved in. I think the technical side of things, we're very, very, very strong. So if you think of just some things that have come out with the workbooks over the last couple of years with softeners and dealkalizers and things like that, and then, you know, to take it to the next step. And one of the one of the pieces that I, I I've been personally involved with and really striving towards is online platforms, because I do see that as the future of of uh, education and, and communication within the ADBT. So. You know, a lot of what was built by the technical committees, we've repurposed into that online app. So now there's an app that, you know, you can get some some of the technical pieces, mainly just calculations on. And then, you know, on the education side, trying to build an education for the future and having a true ladder approach for a new hire. So, you know, I think we've been so strong on the educational piece with the uh, technical water treatment training now that we have a new fundamentals and application training and then try to build a ladder for what if I hire somebody today and today, meaning uh, the day after the last technical training was done and it's not going to come back around for a year. What do I do with that person and having another outlook? So, Right now, the the AWT is spending a lot of time and energy and resources towards the online fundamentals type training for the person that was hired today. And I can put them through six or seven modules, and they can at least get the, the basics of what a day looks like, both on a technical side and on a and mainly on a safety side, so that they know you know how to interact with customers and those kind of things. And those that platform is being built right now, and it's being built with the help of Volunteers. We're putting resources behind, obviously, the uh, bringing it onto the online piece. But the content is being built by by the AWT and by volunteers through the AWT. So that would be step one. Step two, let's say, is the uh, you know in-person technical training, fundamentals, and application. And then we were able to, to do two things in one: solve a problem with a, the the bigger tech training with uh, the learning source by picking up a piece. That was already developed, 39 module training program that's uh, that's already out there, already been vetted, already developed, and and uh, by putting it through some committees, having the AWT membership take a look at it and make sure that it was a, a platform we wanted to use, rolling that out not only as a at a huge discount to uh, our membership, but you know making it a, a benefit. To the person that's the, you know, the zero to three to five year person that is looking for a little more additional training before they're ready for the, you know, the, the the main in person water treatment training. So one of the things you're going to see in the next year, I hope that's the goal is that there'll be a very succinct, very clearly laid out plan of online, in person, online, in person with common branding. And we're, you know, we're working really hard to get to that point. And we're, we're very, very close. And, and Trace, I know you're aware of this because you know, you've been a huge portion of not only developing that in-person fundamentals, but also um, part of the, uh, the online fundamentals course that's going on right now.
1: So and thank you for, for recognizing that. I, I truly I truly do believe that our rising tide raises all boats, and that's what we do with the association But if I was a brand new water treater or if I hired a brand new water treater, what would your advice be to take advantage of what AWT has to offer right now? So a couple things. So if you're brand, if it was a brand new water treater, obviously if you have the ability to get to
2: the fundamentals course, that's where I would start. The first thing I would do though is, is give the person or ask AWT staff to give that person a tour of the website. There are so many great technical pieces, training pieces, webinars that could really get people up to speed pretty quickly, and I'm not sure that we do a very good job of communicating that out to membership of what's really behind the curtain in that members-only area. So even to a business owner that, that may be new to the ADBT, having someone give them a tour of what really is member benefit on the backside of that website, and then Setting up a training with their own people to show them all the different resources that are right at their fingertips. I think that that that's a piece I don't know that we do very well is
1: is communicate how much stuff there really is there and uh, and the benefit of all that. No, great advice. I know I had a conversation recently with a a fellow business owner in the Atlanta area who's no longer an AWT member, and he told me the reason why he was no longer a member was because he just simply didn't see the value in it. With all the things that you mentioned, and I, of course, mentioned these to them, he had no idea. So thank you for letting the audience know, and there's just so many tools out there for AWT. I can't imagine somebody thinking that it's it's not valuable for the small amount that we pay for the amount of resources that we have the ability to go get, yeah, and also the
2: convention itself I mean, there is no other place that I know of where it is so focused on just what we do on a day to day basis. You can go and see all the vendors you would need to you can negotiate one against the other if you need to <laughs> it's all it's all right there, you know I mean. I can't think of another industry where you can you can see everything at that 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 really focused piece in one place. And and it truly is everything. Everybody
1: that you would ever need is right there in that hall. Right. So as a new business owner or, you
2: know, new to the AWT to walk that floor, you, you know, you've got everything you need to run your business in that one place.
1: Well, you brought up the AWT convention, so I know that's coming up. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So Grand Rapids,
2: Michigan, and I actually got a chance to take a uh, trip. We had a board meeting in Grand Rapids to to, uh, to kind of check out the the site and the facility. And it was uh, it's it's a pretty amazing town. They call it Beer City, and I think it's got the most microbreweries around, you know, or something per capita or something like that. But well, you sold me. Really, really, yeah, really, really neat place. Really neat place. But the convention, you know, is is going to change a little bit this year in the fact that you know traditionally. We've had uh, award ceremonies and the banquets and things. have been on on the Friday night, and we're moving that up to a Thursday. So with that, it will be out outside on the bridge that goes over the. And there'll be inside space, obviously, for weather if needed. But there's a bridge that goes over the, the the river, and there's going to be some pretty interesting things that happen in the river while we're having our our uh, our meeting. But the, the next the the next the nicest part about it is. We're going to be doing the same awards we've done every year. So let's say you're the the you know you get the, the supplier of the year award. Instead of uh, getting in on a Friday night and everybody leaving on a Saturday, we'll all be able to sit there and congratulate and and walk around the next day and on the convention floor and on the on the exposition floor and get to see everybody and see all your peers. So I think that'll be neat. I think there'll be a lot more people around because it is on that Thursday night. So a little bit of a flip-flop this year, mainly because of scheduling of that bridge. But I think now looking looking at the convention as it's laid out, I'm pretty excited about how that's going to look. So that's something that's that's a little bit different, and we're doing it a little bit different, a little more casual. I'm pretty sure there's going to be you know beer vendors, the, the local guys, that will be set up, and it will be kind of like an outdoor walking networking event rather than a sit-down ballroom type event. Cool. So a little bit different. Well, excellent.
1: Well, all right. Well, I really appreciate you telling us what's going on with AWT. I'm going to have some links to some of the things that you mentioned on my show notes page. Is there anything else that you can think of that you'd like to tell our members about the association? I think we covered a lot, Trace. Okay, I think so, too, but I want to make sure that you have your, your time. Yeah. So this next section has nothing to do with anything. Mm -hmm. Water treatment has nothing to do with AWT. It's just so our listeners can get to know you a little bit better. So I call it the lightning round. Are you ready for the lightning round? I am ready for the lightning round. This is interesting. All right. So what was the last
2: book that you've read? The last book I read was on the plane coming back yesterday, and it was Harvard Business Review, actually. I try to read those every year they come out with, Grouping. So this one was on management. And I can tell you there is a really interesting piece on the monkey on your back and uh, not allowing your employees to put their monkeys on your back. And uh, it really resonated. So uh, if you got a chance, I may send you the link to that one, Trace.
1: Excellent. That's a great read. I'm familiar with that. How about this? So if you could be introduced by a song, what song would you want to be playing as you're walking out on stage? I would have to say "Lively up yourself" by
2: Bob Marley. How
1: about that? If you've ever
2: heard that If you ever heard that, that baseline,
1: you can't, you can't miss
2: that baseline. Perfect. What's your favorite activity? I would say right now it is it's always been fishing, but right now it is actually anything outdoors with my kids, and luckily, they're getting old enough that fishing is involved in that. So I'm actually taking the Boy Scouts on a fishing event this weekend on a camp out. Uh, hiking and, and uh, trout fishing
1: very cool all right so my last one is if you could have a conversation with anyone throughout history who would it be and why with feeling with feeling with yes. emotional conversation
2: right that's an interesting one so there's a lot of different people that i that I, I come into my mind so there's close people like obviously relatives from the past and and you could i could think of even so this is an aside but we're we have people that have come home uh, over as immigrants. So how they made that trip, why they made that decision, leaving families—I think those would be really, really interesting conversations. But I'd have to say, as a historical figure or something like that, you know, we're here locally in one of our local markets is Philadelphia. I think Benjamin Franklin would be just an awesome guy to sit down, have a beer, and just try to figure out where he's coming from. You've got somebody that that you know I, I, I think I could relate to in the fact that he's an artist, he's an inventor. He enjoyed he beer, a business person. He enjoyed beer. He enjoyed social, socialism, socialites, I guess is a better way to put that. And, you know, he had the ability to bring a lot of very strong personalities in a time where, you know, people were putting their lives on the, on the line for, you know, with treason to build a country and bring those people without mass communication, text messages and email and cell phones and have them drive into, you know, one location and, come to consensus and decide to, you know, to do some really interesting things that obviously shaped our country's history. It just, just to sit down and have, you know, maybe towards the end of his life and, and uh, have a dinner with him and just really just talk, talk over the history. I'm sure there'd be some amazingly funny stories and also some amazingly emotional things that could come out at the same time. So I think uh, that that'd be a good one for me.
1: Well, excellent. Well, I really appreciate you being here. I appreciate you letting everybody know what you do in your business, what you do for AWT, and all the things that people should be taking advantage of that the association has to offer. Thank you.
0: Folks, I got to tell you, some of my better friends today are people that I have met in the Association of Water Technologies, and I would not have had that opportunity to get to know those people had I not taken the time and volunteered. I know everybody out there is saying, you know, I just simply don't have time to volunteer But the good thing is, if you decide to do it and you do it smart, you actually get more time back because here's what I get now that I have volunteered. I now have access to all these great people and all these great minds that when I'm having an issue, I don't need to figure it out on my own. I don't need to start from scratch and see if something works or fails miserably I can make a few phone calls and ask the about the issues that I'm having. And they can say, Trace, under no circumstances, do you want to head down the road you are thinking about going because these are the f- catastrophic failures that you're going to create. It's probably not that bad. But isn't that a great conversation to have? So I didn't have to have those failures. I can now rely on my friends. What's that song, Have a Little Help From Your Friends? Well, by all means, folks, use the AWT to get that help well i'm going to answer a couple of questions and you know this is kind of a funny question so i've gotten 14 comments on my website when am i going to interview mark lewis And for those of you that don't know, Mark Lewis was president of the AWT two years after I was, so that would be 2013, I believe. And I tell you, talk about friendships in the AWT. I didn't know Mark from Adam until I went to the uh, Palm Springs convention back in 2004, I think it was, maybe five And Mark and I started serving together on, we were putting something together for the convention. And I think we were doing handouts and something. And we just introduced ourselves and we just hit it off. Mark is, Mark has become my best friend. I mean, it's just, it's an incredible relationship. And Mark and I have become partners in crime on the new fundamentals and applications class. And the reason I mentioned this is because those 14 replies to when I am going to, interview Mark Lewis all came from Mark Lewis. So Mark, I'm going to get you on the show. So we'll do that. So, and I think that'll be fun. I think, uh, I think hopefully everybody will enjoy the topic. Mark is kind of a chiller whisperer he's able to go up to a chiller and, and, and just lay hands on it and figure out exactly what's going on. So I want him to share with the audience exactly how he does that, how he goes through the user interface and be able to tell exactly what's going on with the system. So we're going to do that. Another question, a serious question that I received is, Trace, when I go and I take a sample, my first sample is always different from my second sample and so on. So I, I don't have this person in front of me to ask, but I want you, whenever you're taking a sample, and by the way, the question is, why are they so different? I get ahead of myself sometimes. So why, if I take a sample right now at this second and a couple minutes down the road, I'm going to get different answers? Well, there are a couple reasons for that. One, your sample is only representative of what's going on in the system right there at that moment in time but there could be something else going on. Uh, I know that several of my building engineers have built these nice uh, long plumbing chains that come over to a supply sink where you have a real nice spot to do all your testing and, and then have a sink to, to dump all your wastewater in. Well, those are great, but when I watch them run their test, they'll turn it on, and not really run the water for any length of time, take whatever they need for the sample, and then start testing. Well, the issue with that is the water that's in that sample stream may be last week's water. And last week's water sat around part of its metal, it's starting to get rust and all this stuff in it. So my point is, it's not indicative to what you think you are sampling. So what my advice is, is make sure you know you're getting an indicative sample when you take that sample. And what I've told them at this building is to open up the sample valve and let it run for a good period of time based on how long that plumbing is. And now we know we have good representative water with that. When we started doing that, we then realized that they were getting closer results to what my team was getting. Before then, they were thinking that we weren't testing the same thing that they were. And I guess in actuality, we weren't we were getting a more indicative sample where they were getting an older sample and they weren't able to get things matched up. So I don't know if that's your issue, but make sure you're definitely running your sample long enough to make sure you're sampling what you think you're sampling. You also want to make sure that you're sampling in the main line of water. If you're off of a dead leg or something like that, that's not representative to the entire system, find another location. And then after saying all of that, it's not a bad idea to go to different areas of the system to see if you can get backup that what you test in this area is the same thing that you're testing in another area. And if it is a representative sample, it should be. If it's not, it might tell you that maybe you're not testing as efficiently as you think you are as far as getting a representative sample. So I don't know if that answered your question. I would love for you to try those things and then email me back and let me know if those items help. Remember, we're only as good as our tests tell us what we need to do or uh, allow us to prove or disprove our hypothesis. And if we're not getting good sample water, we're not gonna be able to do that very well. The last question that I got, and I'm gonna choose not to answer this, but I will answer it later, I promise, but it's about insurance. And it's about what insurance should I have? And obviously this sounds like a business owner. I actually have asked uh, somebody that knows way more about insurance to come on the show and talk about that. And you're thinking, well, I'm not a business owner. Why would I really want to listen to that? That just sounds boring. And I'm going to I'm not here to tell you that insurance is very sexy and exciting, but I will tell you that you are a stakeholder in your company whether you're an owner or not and you knowing more about the insurance and how the insurance looks at various things that could happen, I think will make you uh, a better employee, a better team member of that company. So I I think it's relevant for everybody. So again, I'm not gonna answer the question about insurance uh, on this show, but I'm gonna have a complete show about insurance. And the reason I'm doing that is because somebody reached out and they said, this is a topic that I want covered. Matter of fact, a few people reached out and said that. That's how I know what I'm talking about Uh, That's how I'm planning my shows, so please, if you have an idea, let me know what that is, and I'm going to give you guys a call to action because the show's doing well, but I'm sure you know somebody that doesn't know about scaling up, so I want to enlist you to help me get the word out about scaling up and tell them that we now have a podcast for water treaters. And when you do, ask them to go on iTunes or Stitcher and subscribe to Scaling Up. That will help me tremendously because not only are we going to get our message out to a larger audience, but now we have a larger audience telling me and the show what we should be talking about. Again, I want to thank you for listening to the show. It gives me something to do. So thank you for doing that. I truly enjoy talking about this stuff and I'm learning right along with you. So I'm looking forward to talking with you next time on Scaling Up.